Welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing preparing for calving and also some practices we may want to remind ourselves as we actually move into the calving period and think about baby calves when they're being born. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Becky Funk, who's part of the veterinarian team at the Great Plains Veterinary Education Center. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, as we're recording this podcast, we're sitting here in late January, and for many cow-calf producers, the calving season is still ahead of them. But let's just kind of walk through some of the basics we need to be thinking about, paying attention to as many cows in Nebraska are in their last trimester. Some are even going to be close to calving or maybe 30 days away from calving now or so. What are some things we need to think through as we think about cow health, calf health, as we enter this last phase right prior to calving? So as far as the cow side of that, um, some of the things I like to think about this time of year, um, nutrition is high on my list. Um, we're, as you said, we're in that last trimester for most of these cows. That, that growth of that calf is taking a lot of resources from that cow. So it's a good time to make sure we stay on top of nutrition, keep that cow in good body condition. Uh, she, can, she can lose weight at this point, especially if if we're in a cold period where we see the temperature drop, I know it's negative four at my office this morning. So we start thinking about those cows that are out there. They're going to be burning some energy to keep warm as well as to support that calf. Um, so that's important. Depending on where you're at, as far as your calving date, this might be a good time to think about um, doing some vaccination, whether um, you're on a program that you need to, to do a booster or if you're doing a, you know, a, a scour vaccine. Um, a good thing to talk to your vet about because timing on those is pretty critical. Um, so if you're in a later calving window, you might still have time to do that. Um, if you're one of those guys that's going to be starting here in the next 30 days, um, the window on that is closing pretty quickly. Uh, as far as other things to prep, um, I know we just at my house just did a lot of this this week. We're looking at calving about a month away. Um, this is a good time to check your facilities, make sure everything's um, Make sure those repairs got done like you thought they needed to. You know, it's easy to forget about those after the calving season is over and think I can get, I'll get to it later. Um, make sure we did that. You know, we we did a lot of, we bedded down our calving stalls, got everything ready. So basically, regardless of when that first calf drops, we're, we're ready to go. Let's talk a little more about the prep part in terms of making sure you have all the equipment, tools, supplies on hand. So if you need to assist a cow, you've got them ready. What are some things that you like to have in your toolbox, so to speak, as you get ready for the calving season? This is a good time um, for, for our operation. What I do is um, this is the time where I go through um, all that equipment, make sure, uh, make sure those calving chains or straps, whatever your preference. Um, first of all, did you know where they are? Um, that they didn't get uh, misplaced or set somewhere that you don't have to be looking for those when you need them. Um, make sure if you use a calf puller, make sure it's, it's working and functional. Um, if you know, that head catch, um, those gates, if they need maintained, or if we need to, to do a little, um, you know, that head catch, especially if we, if we need to do a little greasing of the moving parts there, things like that, just to make sure everything's moving smoothly so that, um, the biggest thing I like to avoid is, you know, if I'm out there at at one in the morning that I'm not scrambling around trying to do these things that would have been a lot easier to do during the daylight. Um, so from an equipment standpoint, that's, that's kind of how I go through that. 
The other thing I do is, is look and make sure, um, you know, my, my drug box is, is in good shape. Again, make sure first that I have what I think I have in there. Um, our memories tend to kind of fade. If I ran out of something last year and need to replace it, but haven't gotten around to it, make sure we're doing that. Um, make sure expiration dates are good and also make sure it was, it, everything was put away and stored properly over the last year. It's really easy to leave that stuff out in the barn maybe. And, and if, if it did that and we had a, you know, temperatures got really high over the summer, a lot of those drugs may not be in good shape. We may just need to replace them and dispose of them. How about things like sleeves, lube, uh, disinfectant? What do you do from that standpoint? Yeah. And all the things that I need to make sure are stocked, um, make sure they're where I think they are, make sure I have them. Yeah. Usually I recommend, you know, a, a bag of sleeves. I like to use um, exam gloves over my sleeves. So the latex or nitrile gloves, so I make sure I have a box of those that are, that are in good shape. And then, yeah, I get, I, I buy lube by the gallon. I think it's, it's a cheap investment um, to really help in some of those dystocias. So that's grabbing a couple gallons of that lube um, or making sure again, that, that, that lube that you have left over from last year is in good shape. Um, if that's frozen or gotten really hot, it may not be as, as slick and, and useful as what we, what we like to think it would be. Let's talk through now about just maybe a conversation you need to have with your veterinarian, getting ready for calving, thinking through again, the stages of parturition when that cow is entering the actual action of calving. What are some things you recommend for, or when you worked with clients, what are some things you like to see in place to best set that cow up to assist her if it's needed? Yeah. So first of all, um, from a communication with client perspective, I like to know when you're going to start calving, um, when, you know, we kind of have a good idea of when all of our clients are, are going to start. So if you've made any major changes or, you know, maybe if you purchased a group of heifers, it's going to start a month earlier than what you normally do. Um, it's a good idea to kind of put that on your vet's radar that that's going on just so that they have an idea of, of when they're going to start maybe hearing from you if you're having some issues. And then the other thing I always like to know is what your comfort level is with, you know, and, and you may very well have a relationship with your veterinarian. If you've, you know, had the same vet for years, they already know that. So that might not be something that necessarily needs to be specifically discussed, but, but those are all things that, that I can help you better as a veterinarian, if, if I'm aware of for my clients. So, um, and then, you know, as far as coming up to calving, start keeping a watch on those cows, making sure it's, it's not unusual to have a few go a couple of weeks early as necessarily, or have some early calves or even some early abortions are not unusual, but keeping that on your vet's radar is a good thing to do. Um, we can help work through those problems, things like that. Let's talk about calving. When a cow starts to actually go through the calving process, what are some things you like to watch and to be paying attention to? When do you say now is a good time to intervene? We need to examine this cow and see where she's at. So when we start to see that, that phase one of, um, of calving, that's that kind of restless nesting type time. Um, so that's when that cow is, is wandering off, looking for a spot, isolating yourself from the herd, you know, maybe even showing some discomfort, some tail posture changes, things like that. So that's when we start to think we're, we're coming up on, on a calving event and there's a point there where, where she's pretty committed to, we need to get her through that process. So one of the main trigger points that I like to talk to guys about is, you know, if we see that cow doing that and then um, she doesn't progress, 
So we have a cow that's isolating herself, or maybe she's doing some tail ringing or, you know, wandering off at feeding time and not coming into that feed line. Those are always a good individual to, to get up and check if you don't see that progress to, to having a calf. Um, there's a couple of things that can happen that can um, either stall calving or things like uterine torsion or true breaches where we don't see a tail present. Those are good ones to check so we don't end up in a, in a pretty big disaster later. So that's one of my trigger points. Um, the other thing is, is if we move through that first phase and she starts to move into second phase, which we consider active labor, um, and we don't see progress. So if we, you know, if we see, if we see fetal membranes, um, we should see, see toes come in the next 20 minutes to a half an hour, right? Um, if we have toes when we check her, we should check her again in 20 minutes to a half an hour and we should see nose. So those time points are, are kind of triggers if we don't see what we think we, we should be seeing and we aren't seeing forward progress, then it's never wrong to check that cow. When you get to a place, Dr. Funk, where you think about now is a time where we need to assist the cow, uh, how do you gauge that and when do you make that decision? So we run that cow in um, that maybe we're concerned about and we check her. Um, first thing I'm looking for is to make sure what we expect to be there to be presented. So um, normal presentation is those you know, front toes and then we should have a nose right there behind it kind of at the level of the knee. Um, so if that's not lining up right, then we're looking at, at assisting um, maybe a malpresentation. Maybe we have a leg back um, that we need to correct. Uh, or maybe we just have something as simple as an elbow lock where that nose got a little far forward um, and those, those limbs are flexed and, and we can't deliver that calf. So something as simple as that, we may correct that quickly and she'll deliver that calf and, and life will be good. The other thing, you know, if we go in there and there's, you know, if we've got either a breach or a backwards calf, those are things that certainly warrant assistance for the safety of that cow um, and the delivery of that live calf, hopefully. Difference between a breach and a backwards, I use both those terms. Um, a breach is where those feet are down, they're not presenting. So basically what we've got um, is hindquarters and a tail in that pelvic canal. Um, those absolutely have to be corrected. Um, they will not deliver that way. Uh, backwards is, is where we've got feet presenting. So essentially they're, they're presenting. And honestly, a lot of mature roomy cows will, will deliver a backwards calf. Um, and you may not even know it occurred, but, but for, you know, a smaller cow, some a cow with a little less room in that pelvic canal, canal or a heifer, a lot of times they'll require a little bit of assistance just to help them kind of get over that hump and deliver that calf. As you work with clients and they go to examine, check out a cow, and again, I know it depends on the skill set and experience, at what point do you recommend, hey, you need to really visit with me as your veterinarian and we need to talk about a plan of action? Yeah, so anytime you check a calf, first of all, if you just feel like you're in over your head, that warrants a phone call. Our goal is, is a live calf um, and a healthy cow that can rebreed. So if you feel like you're just not comfortable um, addressing that, a phone call is always, always warranted. And then if, you know, if you're someone who's fairly comfortable with checking those, you know, identifying the parts and pieces that are coming at you, um, and even correcting some of those malpresentations, um, my rule of thumb is even for myself, when I get into some of these difficult dystocias is if I can't go ahead and deliver that calf, uh, in about 30 minutes, if my, if I get into that and I think, man, this is going to be a long, hard slog, 
it's going to take a long time. Um, then, then I'm starting to think that there's, we need to change tactics. Um, and so I use that rule of thumb for producers as well. You know, if you reach in there and, and you've got a, a breach presentation and you think, man, I could work at this for a couple hours and have, you know, a tired cow, tired cow, very likely a dead calf, then that's a good time to call for help because those of us that are a little more, you know, experienced or have some different tools or different skill set, we may be able to change trajectory of, of what's going to happen there. So that's how I usually talk through things. Let's talk a little bit about the use of a calf puller. How do you utilize that? How do you be careful in terms of thinking about the pressure you apply that we don't do damage to the calf or the cow? Absolutely. Um, and this is this is one of the this is one of the places where it's it's challenging as a as a person who wants to get that calf out and on the ground um, because the biggest rule of thumb I would say with a calf puller is is patience is your friend. So the first thing is that I that we need to do is um, we need to make sure those chains or straps are placed correctly. Um, we can we can actually cause fractures to those legs or we can dislocate those joints if if that's not done. So we want to have that loop above the fetlock um, and then that half hitch below. And if, if I know it's hard to kind of envision that hearing it, if you're not familiar with how that needs to be set, ask your vet there, they'll be more than happy to show you how to set those chains. Cause that's the first step in safely delivering a calf is, is to be able to do that. Um, and then once we, once we have that calf on the chains and we're hooked up, like I said, patience is your friend. We want to work with that cow. So when she's having good, strong contractions, we want to apply pressure with that puller. Um, and then we need to kind of take a bit of a pause when she's not having contractions. We want that calf to come um, with, with the work of the cow and not, not rush her through that process. The rule of thumb with any time we're delivering a calf by forced extraction is if we're applying more force than what to good sized guys can apply by hand. Um, we're probably getting into that realm of excessive force and we run the risk of doing damage either to that cow. Um, you know, we've seen those, that calving paralysis, this is where it usually happens or to that calf. Um, we're going to see that calf either stressed or injured, um, quite a bit when we get it pulled. So that's how really the best way to think about using a calf puller is it's, it's not a speed issue. It's really just a, a way to assist that cow. As you think about assisting a cow then at calving and, and using some pressure to extract the calf, do you like to have the cow standing up? Do you like her laying down? What's your preference as you think about working through a, a difficult delivery? So when we get into, you know, using a calf puller, it's challenging to say what the best way to, to work with that cow is because it's mostly dependent on, um, first of all, what kind of calf puller you have. There's there's a ton of them out there on the market. Everybody has their personal preference. Um, if you don't have one and you're thinking about investing in one, maybe that's a good conversation to have with your vet because they can go through all the, you know, all the pros and cons of different ones. So that makes a big difference is how do we use that tool and keep everybody safe? Um, and then also how do we use that tool and keep that cow safe and, and give the best outcome? Um, so a lot of times we're limited by the space we have in facilities and the type of calf puller we're using naturally that cow delivers that calf laying down. So if we have the opportunity to do that, um, that's advantageous. But yeah, a lot of times we're just flat out restricted by what we have to work with. And we end up delivering that calf with the cow standing up. Let's talk about the calf after we 
able to get the calf out. What do you like to do in terms of getting that calf up and going, getting it some colostrum? What's your protocol there? Yeah. So first thing, um, first thing we do is, is we're going to, we're going to do our best to stimulate that calf, um, whether that cow is interested and we can let her do that. Um, or we want to do it by hand in, in my calving barn, I keep just a pile of, um, you know, old towels or old blankets, something. And, and we don't need to be necessarily gentle, um, that, you know, if you've watched a cow stimulate a calf after birth, she's, she's in there working on him pretty aggressive, getting him dried off. Um, we're, we're working to stimulate, I usually work on stimulating head and kind of shoulders and back again, just because if you watch a cow, that's, that's how she does her job. And, um, you know, if that calf is, is really stressed and not responding, we can do things like, you know, blow in the nostrils, tickle that nostril with a straw. Um, there's even an acupuncture point, um, on that nasal planum. If, um, if you want to try that, um, where we just stick a, a lot of times I'll just grab a, an injection needle and just stick in that point. Um, to try and stimulate that first breath and get that calf up and going, or at least taking good deep breaths and, and starting to get around and shake a head and, and look like he's, he's wanting to get around and go. One thing I will throw out there, it's really common to see guys that want to um, want to hold that calf upside down or throw it over a gate. Um, you know, that the, the thought process there was we see all that fluid drain out when we do that, right. And we feel like we're doing doing something really good for that calf. The best way to stimulate that calf and to let him kind of come around and get, get moving is actually to set him sternal. We don't want to set, we don't want to put those guys upside down or put them over a gate. Um, most of that fluid that you see come out is not out of the lungs. It's out of the, it's out of the stomach. So we're not really doing anything there as far as, as helping those lungs clear. And then putting them upside down also puts a ton of pressure. Best way to demonstrate that is if you take and, and lay yourself over like the back of a chair and how much pressure that puts on your lungs and how much that restricts your ability to breathe. Uh, that's a kind of a good demonstration of what those calves are experiencing. So we want to um, set them sternal. Um, a lot of times we'll pull their back legs up so we can kind of pull them up under them. Um, there's great pictures on the internet. If you, if you Google calf resuscitation, best one I, I know that floats around is, is Cody Creelman, who's cow vet from Canada, uh, has a great picture of a red calf that's, that's in that posture, but, but that's the important part is we don't want to hang those guys upside down anymore. Um, we know that, that that actually does more damage than good. So once we get him breathing and going, um, if we've assisted that and we know it's been a stressful delivery, I tend to milk that cow out. We've got her in the chute and we want to make sure that we get colostrum into that calf, get that first meal going. Um, and we know that those guys that go through a stressful delivery um, have a much lower likelihood of getting up and nursing on their own um, in a timely fashion. So we just go ahead and jumpstart them and, and get their bellies full. Um, so we, we don't have to worry so much about that. In terms of delivery of the colostrum, do you like to use an esophageal feeder? Do you like to try to have the calf suck? Do you have a preference there or approach you like to take with that? So, and this is a personal bias, but the most important part is getting that colostrum in the calf. If, if you have the time and they want to nurse a bottle, that's great. Um, you're, you can certainly do it that way. You know, a lot of times if we're on delivery number two of what we expect to be four or five coming, um, we don't want to take the time to, to nurse that calf when we've got others that need, need attention. I'll go ahead and tube feed them. There's 
pretty good evidence that even to feeding those calves, um, we get that colostrum where it needs to go and get it into them. And it's better than not getting it there at all. So either way, the most important thing is just to get a couple quarts of colostrum into that calf right away. Let's talk about colostrum a little bit more and just uh, colostrum quality. When do you think about a colostrum replacement product? How do you think about that? What's a good colostrum replacement product, the difference between a replacer and a supplement? Talk through with us a little bit about that. Absolutely. There's, um, there's a lot of confusion kind of on the difference. If you walk into, you know, walk into your local farm store, um, you're going to see both on the shelf. The trigger point for when I think about using either product is um, when we, we don't have the ability to, to get what we need out of that cow. Um, heifers are particularly uh, questionable at times, right? We may not see the quantity of colostrum we want. Um, we can do testing for colostrum quality. Um, it's not as common in the beef industry as we see in the dairy industry, but there's certainly ways to do that. Um, so that doesn't really hit on our radar very often on the beef side. Um, but usually we just kind of judge by quantity or how much um, that cow is able to produce. The other thing that would have me reaching for a commercial supplement or replacer is um, if I don't have any access to colostrum produced in my own herd. So if I have a cow that either loses a calf or a cow that's just a huge producer that I can get some colostrum from um, and put that in my freezer, that's a great way to have some colostrum on hand. You can keep that um, about a year in the freezer. So like if you have some colostrum you, you got out of a cow towards the end of last year's season, you could certainly use that at the beginning of this season. Um, I wouldn't keep it more than, more than over a year or the next season. Um, but that's certainly a way to kind of maintain your own colostrum bank if you have that capability. And then if that's not a possibility, then we start moving to the commercial supplements. And the difference between a supplement and a replacer um, is simply the amount of antibody that's in that product. So a, a supplement is exactly what it sounds like. It's that heifer that maybe has colostrum and you've milked her out, but maybe you only got like a quart or less and you're concerned about the, the volume of colostrum that that calf is going to get. So we'll go ahead and um, we'll feed that, that cow derived colostrum first, and then we'll go ahead and supplement that calf with a little extra commercial product. A replacer is exactly like what it sounds like. There's much more antibody in that product. And that's that, you know, that's maybe that calf that you found out there that, 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 you know, the cow had it walked away from it. Maybe you, you're having difficulty identifying which cow even did that. Um, so we don't really have great great access to get them any colostrum at all from either their mom or another cow in the herd. Um, so that's where we reach for a replacement product. And the easiest way to determine if you're, it's, it'll say on the label replacement or supplement, but the very obvious way when you walk up to that shelf in the farm store to tell the difference is a replacement product is significantly more expensive. So this isn't, this isn't a place where buying the cheaper product you're not going to get an equivalent product. If you want a replacer, you need to invest the money in a true replacer. So that's important to keep in mind. Um, the other thing is, is read the label on those products. Um, there's many products on the market, but the big important thing is some of them get mixed a little bit differently than others. And it's really key to make sure they get mixed and delivered to that calf according to label directions. 
Dr. Funk, let's talk a little bit about oftentimes if we assist a cow at calving, sometimes we can have a little bit of difficulty with the cow wanting to claim the calf. Any tricks or things in the trade that you think could be helpful to producers to help make that bonding experience occur and uh, maybe address an issue like that? Yeah, so that's the classic question, right? And there's, you know, there's all kinds of products and, and home remedies that we run across to help help that cow claim. Everybody has their favorite product and some of them are very good. Some of them, um, some of them I'm a little bit questionable about. You'll even hear, you know, some of the older um, home remedies like kerosene or diesel fuel and stay away from those. Um, go with a commercial product or at least something you know, I have guys that would say, well, you just, you know, if you've got some distiller's meal and you put some distiller's meal on that calf, it just kind of makes that cow interested. So at least stick with things that aren't going to do any harm, right? That's important. The other thing I think is really important, um, and part of this is gauging the cow, because we do have some of those cows that are agitated to the point of doing harm to that calf. But if that's not the case, put them in a, you know, put them in a stall or a pen away somewhere where it's quiet. Keep an eye on them from a distance, but give them just a quiet space to, to bond and try and get that calf up and nursing um, and, and give them that time and space to do that. The other thing with heifers I'll throw out there, and, and this is all personal bias. I don't, don't know of any necessarily research that backs this up, but um, if that's been a really difficult delivery and she's pretty agitated, I think a little bit of pain management goes a long ways. Um, if she's super uncomfortable and she's worried about, you know, worried about pain or the source of that pain and that fight or flight response is kicked in, um, the last last thing on her mind is that calf. So if we can get her comfortable, I think that really helps um, her get her mind uh, a little better on bonding with that calf. Dr. Folk, anything else on this topic you think would be valuable to know and understand as we look forward to the calving season? Uh, I think just, you know, good communication with that veterinary crew. Um, we're all in this together and we're all looking to get, you know, healthy calves on the ground. Cows that have good calves inside, they're taking good care of them. The only other thing I'd, I'd wonder, Aaron, some of our listeners are in drought areas. Um, if those cows are a little thinner than they have been in the past, um, depending on how you're, you're trying to stretch forage resources, or if they came off pasture a little thinner and haven't picked up, we can see some issues with, you know, with increased dystocia as those cows just don't have the energy and the go to have those calves that they have in the past. Um, the other thing we can see is some weak calves. So kind of circling back to that, that nutritional preparation for calving, that's that's really important and can be really key if we're in some areas where we're struggling with forage resources. Any resources that you would point people to at the beef website or other places that would help them to just think through again, the things we've talked about today. Yeah. So um, as far as dissocia management, one of my go-tos is, is actually some YouTube videos. Dr. Mark Hilton has some great videos on how to deliver a calf um, with dissocia. Like I said, Cody Creelman. Um, has some good stuff on calf resuscitation. Uh, so those are all resources I go to. There's a ton of stuff out there on, on YouTube and I'm not a TikToker yet. I'm sure there's stuff on TikTok too. Well, I also know at the beef website, we have a neb guide and some other resources there as well. So at the beef.unl.edu, there are some resources people can check out in addition to what you mentioned as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining me today. No problem. Thanks for having me here.
Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed today, I would encourage you to visit some of the websites that Dr. Funk mentioned and see some of the videos there. I would also mention at the beef.unl.edu website, we do have some NEB guides and some other resources on this topic.